You are listening to Van Fjern Duffy Legal News here on Waterberg Stereo. The program is sponsored by De Wet and De Villiers Brokers. Thank you for joining us again. Two um, colleagues I have invited for today, Tandeka Panza, will uh, firstly talk to us about a labor law-related question and uh, will explain to us that not every discrimination at a place of work is unfair. In this case, it relates to the ability of a certain employee to speak a certain language. So please uh, stay tuned for that court case, and uh, she will be explaining the outcome of the decision and uh, what lessons uh, we can learn from that. And then secondly, Amari Richter will answer the question as to major whether major, major children can claim maintenance from their children and when does your maintenance obligation stop and can you approach a court if you can no longer afford to pay maintenance, etc. So please uh, stay tuned for that discussion as well. Please send us your questions and uh, comments to info at vvd for vanfeldenduffy.co.za. My name is Volker Kruger from Van Ferdinand Attorneys. I'm uh, joined by one of our labor law experts uh, again, Tandeka and Panza. Uh, hi, Tandeka. Good day, Volker, and good day to your listeners at home. Not every unfair discrimination claim will succeed in South African courts. That's sort of the heading that you gave me for this court case. Uh, please explain. Okay, Falka. Um, let me give you the background to the court case that is before us. Um, so essentially, um, uh, Mr. Debrain was employed as the chief operations officer at a Johannesburg-based mining company known as Metorex. Now, due to Metorex being found to be largely unprofitable, day-to-day -day management was taken over by a group company called Xinquan. Now, the listeners at home will excuse my pronunciation. Um, and this resulted in Chinese nationals, um, more specifically Mr. Dixon Chen and Mr. Fuyu Ku, being appointed in an acting basis as CEO and the deputy CEO of Metorix. Now, by September 2015, it became apparent that the introduction of the new Jinquan model could possibly lead could, possi could possibly lead to Mr. Debray's role being redundant because now the mine managers were reporting directly to Mr. Kua. Accordingly, Metorix um, notified Mr. Debray that in terms of Section 189 of the Labor Relations Act, that there is a possibility that he may later be retrenched due to operational requirements. Yes. Now, during the consultation process, Mr. Brain's primary argument was that his position had not become redundant, and he proposed that instead of retrenching him, he be bumped into Mr. Quiz's position as a deputy CEO, because according to him, uh, he was a better candidate and he had longer service with Metorix than Mr. Cure. Now, Metorix rejected Mr. Brain, Brain's um, proposal, and he was subsequently retrenched on the 31st of May, 2016. Then Mr. Debray referred an unfair dismissal dispute to the CCMA, alleging that his dismissal was automatically unfair, alternatively that his dismissal was substantively and procedurally unfair. Uh, he also sought monetary compensation and a long-term incentive bonus. He did not, however, want to be reinstated in his position. Now, Mr. Debray's primary allegation was that he was unfairly discriminated against by Metorix, as he was not a Chinese national or a Chinese-speaking person. The Labour Court found no merit in his allegation and found that Mr. Debray's dismissal was neither automatically unfair nor generally unfair. Now, the Labour Court held that he 
was more likely to be dismissed because his position had now become redundant. And however, he was unsatisfied with the decision of the Labour Court, and Mr. Debrain now brought an application, to, an appeal rather, to the Labour Appeal Court. Okay, and the outcome of that appeal was he successful then? He was also unsuccessful uh, at the Labour Appeal Court, but just to give a background, now his primary again defence, his primary defence was that um, this dismissal was automatically unfair and that he was dismissed because of race, ethnic and social origin, culture or language. Now at the Labour Appeal Court, Metarix, they uh, conceded that the main reason for Mr. Kruis' appointment related to his language and culture and that a prima facie case of discrimination has indeed been made out by Mr. Debrain. However, Metarix argued that it was in, it was in dire economic and financial circumstances, and that his position would have continued if the Jin Quinn model had not been implemented, and if Mr. Q had not been appointed. Accordingly, Metaverse contended that even though there was an element of discrimination, it was not unfair and it was reasonably justified in the circumstances. Now, further, in relation to the claim by Mr. Debrain that his dismissal was automatically unfair, the Labour Appeal Court considered the relevant provisions of the Labour Relations Act. The Labour Relations Act, summary, uh, in brief, provides that a dismissal is automatically unfair if the reason for the dismissal is that the employer unfairly discriminated against an employee uh, directly, indirectly on the grounds I listed earlier for race, ethnic um, origin, and so on and so forth. However, a dismissal may be fair if the reason for the dismissal is based on an inherent, inherent requirement of a particular job. Uh, therefore, the legitimacy of the business rationale for appointing a Chinese-speaking mine manager and a Chinese-speaking CEO could not really be rebutted by Mr. Debrain. Now, simply put, the issue did not, however, simply turn on the fact that Mr. Kews was Chinese-speaking. He also had experience and knowledge of mining in accordance with the Jinkuan model. The Labour, Rela the Labour Appeal Act, I mean the Labour Appeal Court, found that on the probabilities, Mr. Kews' appointment was genuine, in good faith, that it was necessary for Metarok's financial recovery, which was a legitimate purpose, and that his appointment in the context of the implementation of the Jinkuan model was necessary for the accomplishment of the purpose. And therefore, Mr. DeBrain's appeal in relation to his automatically unfair dismissal claim was dismissed, along with all his other claims. Interesting. So what do we learn from it? Uh, in other words, what we're saying is that not all discrimination is unfair from a legal point of view. No? So if you discriminate uh, against a certain employee based on legitimate uh, um, purposes, then that discrimination is fair and, and you cannot be uh, held liable, you know, as employer. Um, is that right? And, and what about, so, so let's say you're employing um, Zulu-speaking employees only because you need someone for a certain position who can speak Zulu, mm. then that's not unfair discrimination, am I right? Exactly so, because um, like the, in this court case, it, it was an inherent requirement for the fulfillment of a job. And um, Mr. Mr. DeBrain found his, his position being redundant because of the re, uh, introduction of now a Chinese, uh, a primarily Chinese um, a model to the business and was also for the betterment of the company. So, um, it, you know, like our heading correctly um, indicates that this judgment indicates that not every unfair discrimination claim will find favor with South African courts. And what our listeners should always remember that the test for justifying discrimination within the context of an automatically unfair claim will be on the basis of the inherent requirements of the job, although construed strictly in conjunction of other requirements, thus provide employers with a legitimate basis to dismiss employees. 
and employees are justified cries of discrimination will gain little or if any airtime of South African courts. Employers, on the other hand, cannot use this as a basis to unfairly discriminate and the strict interpretation of the inherent requirements of the job test as found in Section 189 of the Labor Relations Act will similarly keep employers in check. Okay. So you can't use it as an excuse. There must be a legitimate basis to, to discriminate between the two uh, persons. Uh, but then as soon as you can do that, I, I guess it could be compared to a situation where you need a qualified medical doctor for a certain position. And let's say you have one candidate or employee who is a qualified medical doctor and the other one is not, then obviously you can discriminate against the one that is not qualified mm. by keeping the one that is qualified because it's the requirement of that specific position. Eh? Uh, just like in this case, uh, being able to speak Chinese was sort of a requirement for that specific position. Indeed, so uh, the threshold will always remain. It's not that it's not the presence of discrimination that should be factored in, but whether the discrimination is indeed unfair or unjustified. So, indeed, yeah. you're correct. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Volker. My name is Volker Kruger from Verfahren Duffy Attorneys. Thank you for uh, joining us. I uh, ask Elmeri uh, Rechter to have a look at. Uh, maintenance-related question or two that we received from one of our listeners. Um, thanks for joining us, uh, Amari. Thank you, Volker. So, yeah, the question that I firstly he have here is um, whether both parents are equally liable for the payment of the maintenance in respect of a specific child, in other words, 50-50. Okay, so although both parents are legally liable to maintain their children, the parents aren't necessarily liable to maintain the children equally, like in 50-50. Um, the liability to pay maintenance is apportioned between the parents and in accordance with their respective income and needs. For example, if the dad earns double the um, salary the mother earns, then he will pay double, or he will contribute double the amount of maintenance in respect or in a portion to his wife or the mother. So, um, for example, there might be circumstances where the dad then contributes 65% of the child's maintenance and the mom will contribute the remaining 35%. So both parents are legally liable to maintain the children, not necessarily equally liable. Okay. So it depends on their means, on their income, uh, etc. Yes. Um, what if something happens to one of the parents, they lost their jobs because of COVID-19 related mm -hmm. issues or whatever, and they no longer have an income, what can you then do if you can no longer afford to pay maintenance? Well, it's very important that if you can no longer afford to pay the maintenance or to pay the exact amount as per the current maintenance order, you have to inform the other parent of your inability to pay, firstly. Secondly, after informing the other parent, you have to approach the maintenance court. You can approach the maintenance court in the area where the children are currently residing, and you can do that with or without an attorney. But it's important that you approach the court informing the court that you can no longer afford to pay as per the current maintenance order, and that you now wish to reduce the maintenance order. Now, this process is done by way of a form, uh, it's known as the substitution of a maintenance order form that the client can complete. And once they submitted that form, they will submit their bank statements, etc., and the court will consider their financial position and whether it actually changed. And most importantly, if there is indeed an inability to pay and to comply with the current order. 
If the court's satisfied that the person can no longer afford to pay that exact amount, then the court will lower or reduce the maintenance amount and they will give a new maintenance order. But it is important that you follow the process through the maintenance court because if you fail to inform the court that you are no longer able to afford the maintenance, the other parent can merely proceed to enforce the current maintenance order and you can fall in arrears and that arrears is collectible because it is a court order. That's why if the circumstances change and a person can no longer afford it, that person should go to the court to get a new maintenance order that's more affordable, of course. So you can't just stop paying and then if there are queries explain that you can't afford it anymore because you lost your job or whatever you got to be proactive you got to approach the yes. court. Basically, if there's a, an existing maintenance order uh including a divorce order i guess no even if yes. this is covered by a divorce order then definitely applies you got to go well you don't have to go to the divorce court or no the you can go to the maintenance court you can go to the maintenance court even yes. if the maintenance orders in terms of the divorce order no Definitely. And affordability is an issue here. Obviously, we, we have an issue where you can no longer afford to pay maintenance. And that's why I specifically mentioned, if you cannot afford an attorney, go to the maintenance court and represent yourself. The court is open to public. Okay. So if you can't afford it anymore, you could get an order that it's reduced from the maintenance court or even uh, scrapped for, for a certain period of time. Uh, but what? Well, how long um, do you then have to pay maintenance? Surely it, it stops sooner or later if the children can then provide for their own? Yes, well, a the responsibility to maintain a child will terminate as soon as the child becomes self-supportive and or financially independent. So obviously, um, the maintenance does not necessarily stop when the child turns the age of 18. You can only think that if a child who turns 18 in his matric year in April month, for example, that child is not independent, that child is still in need of maintenance and still in need of care. So. Although the child is then 18, the maintenance and the responsibility to pay maintenance will continue until the child becomes self-supportive. A very good example is when a child is um, studying um, at a tertiary institution and doesn't earn an income yet, that child is still in need of maintenance. And then that um, responsibility to pay maintenance will extend until the child becomes self-supportive. Yeah, that's actually one of the questions that we received here. Can major children claim maintenance from their uh, parents? So in principle, what you're saying is, is, is yes, it's not necessarily uh, linked to the age of majority. If yes. there's a need on the side of the child and uh, uh, parents have the, the means to do so, then they uh, will still have to pay maintenance. Yes, definitely. So a major child can claim maintenance. Um, basically, they take over the responsibility from the mom or the dad um, or the primary caretaker who usually receives the maintenance on their behalf. So when the child turns 18, usually in that circumstances, then the other parent would start to pay the maintenance directly to the child when the child's, for example, studying or whatever the case may be. So the child's then in a position to manage his or her affairs. What is very important, and I think this is a follow-up question on the question that you asked, is a lot of people say then, but what if my child just never um, gets employment and just, you know, sit at home and just enjoy a nice life without earning an income and I just have to pay maintenance because the child's not self-supportive? There's obviously a, a 
a sense of reasonability here. Um, you know, a child that's 30, 30 years of age, not doing anything to gain employment, that child, you know, the maintenance can stop. There's a certain point in time when the maintenance responsibility will stop. But it cannot stop when the child um, is perhaps still studying and doesn't have employment yet. You know, um, circumstances differ, but definitely the court will consider whether the child's request is reasonable. Sure. And I guess a similar principle also applies between spouses in the case of a divorce. No? So you can't just sit back uh, as one of the spouses and not try to get a job, etc. Yes. You must take all reasonable steps to get a job and earn an income. Uh, but then if despite that, you can't support yourself and then obviously based on other principles as well, uh, you would be able to get a maintenance uh, order. Definitely. And in some circumstances, kids, they start to work, you know, after matric, they, they gain employment, but they still need, I want to call it like a top-up maintenance. You know, their income is not enough to cover all their expenses yet. Then even in that circumstances, they are not um, financially independent. Then you can still contribute, basically financially rehabilitate the child until the child becomes financially independent and then the maintenance um responsibility will terminate. Disabled children who will, for example, because of the disability, never be able to work and generate an income, I guess there would then be a lifelong obligation to support. Yes, they will um, remain dependents. Um, they will remain in need of of maintenance. So unfortunately, in that type of circumstances where the child is disabled and cannot gain employment or would, does not earn a salary or whatever, because of his or her inability to work, of course, then that parents will have to step up and continue to pay maintenance. Maybe I can just add on that. When I draft wills uh, and the clients have disabled children, etc., I would typically advise them to look at uh, catering for a trust for that minor children after they've yes. passed away so that there would be trustees that they can obviously uh, trust and who would then be able to manage the assets that would be left to the trust and look after the uh, children, uh, disabled children or child uh, with those funds. So um, if there are any yeah. listeners uh, listening uh, that have disabled uh, children, uh, then uh, they should keep that in mind as an option when they draft uh, their wills. And the same also applies with any um, children who, for other uh, reasons, can't look after their assets. Yeah. Uh, for example, if they're drug addicts, which uh, unfortunately does happen from time to time, then it would also make sense to rather cater yeah. for trust to be formed after you've passed away so that the trustees can uh, properly look after that child. Yes, I agree with you, Fulgur. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.